Well, we're going to be in 1 John this morning, so if you want to go ahead and turn to 1 John, uh, that's where we're going to be. And, and this is where we're going to spend the next several weeks. We are going to go through 1 John from beginning to end. Not all this morning in this sermon. We're going to cover verses 1 through 4 this morning. So that'll, that, that, hopefully that eases your mind a little bit when you heard we were going through 1 John. So 1 John, it's a little odd to try to say that it's a letter or it's this or that. Now, it is put with the other letters in the Bible. Because, it, it, you know, the Bible is, is, the canon is organized by genre. And so it's with the other letters. However, I, I read a quote in preparing for this sermon series that said that if, it's, if it is a letter, it's, the, it's least like any of the other letters. And if it's not a letter, then it's the most like a letter of any of the other whatever it is. And so uh, the reason I say that it's, it's not like a letter is because it, when you write a letter to someone or an email, for those of you who don't write letters anymore, uh, what's the first thing you put at the top? Yeah, the greeting. Dear so-and-so, right? Well, this doesn't have a greeting. And then when you end the letter, you say, sincerely, or if you're Terry, ending a letter to Nan, you say, hugs and kisses, boo-boo, Terry. <laughs> oh, is that not how you end your letters, Terry? Oh, okay. But anyway, usually a letter has a, a greeting and a salutation. And this does not have that. What this does is it jumps right into the action. In fact, it, it sort of has a prologue, these verses at the beginning of First John that really set the stage and summarize what is to come. And now, before we get to these verses, what I want us to do is, is talk about John himself for a little while. One of the things that we don't know 100% for sure is that John wrote this. His name is not in the text. He doesn't say... Like, remember when we went through Philippians? He, he said, this is Paul and Timothy's with me. Remember what, how he said that right in the beginning of the letter? Well, this, he doesn't do that. It's, so, because of that, I can't say for 100% certainty, oh, this is John. However, there are so many pieces of evidence that point to John being the one who wrote this. One piece of evidence would be that even as early as it's still in the first century before the year 100 people were already attributing it to john and john was the longest living disciple and so he was still alive near the end of the first century so if it wasn't him he could have put an end to that rumor that it wasn't him uh, in fact a lot of people not only do they th- does the writing mirror John's other writings, but a lot of people think that this might have been like an introduction to John's gospel, because there are so many themes that are mentioned in these few chapters that are reiterated and even expounded upon in his gospel. So this is the same John who wrote the gospel according to John. Uh, This is the same John who wrote 2nd and 3rd John, the, the other letters. This is the same John who wrote Revelation. 
But interestingly enough, I said that we don't know for sure that John wrote this because he didn't put his name in it. But in the gospel, according to John, he doesn't put his name in that either. Does anybody remember what he called himself in that? Yeah, I, I heard it. Somebody whisper it. The disciple whom Jesus loved or the beloved disciple or whatever verse you're in. But he, he didn't even, he was, I, I think it was out of humility, he didn't even refer to him, his name in, in the letter. Uh, he, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But we know that John wrote his gospel because every time he says the disciple whom Jesus loved, if we go to the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, then we see in those gospels that John is the person who is, if you take the disciple whom Jesus loved and try to figure out who that is because of what's going on in that verse in John, if you go to the other Gospels, you see that it's John. And so, with that said, we see here that there is no introduction as far as a, a, a greeting of a traditional letter, but we can, with certainty, although not 100% certainty, but as, as certain as we can be, we can trust that John wrote this. And, and the evidence is all throughout the letter. We will be looking at that evidence week by week. We will see some of that evidence right here in the beginning in these, in these first few verses. If you have read the gospel according to John, then that's going to help you to make a lot of these connections. If you haven't read that, then I really encourage you to go home and to read uh, John's gospel. Because it is short. It is, well, I'll say it's short. It's short compared to a book. Uh, it's, I believe, 21 chapters. And so you can go and, and read the gospel and, and see what John has to say about Jesus. And, and so if this is a letter, then it has a form. And, and the reason I'm giving you this context and this background is just because when we jump in here, I want us to know all these things so that we can uh, get the, the fullest meaning, why John wrote what he wrote, and, and for us to understand to the best of our ability to whom he was writing it. And so, uh, if this is a letter, then we, it has a certain form. And that is that you could take almost six sections, different sections of John, and you could picture them on a computer screen. You could copy and cut, sorry, cut and paste those six different sections in whichever order you like. And... The letter still works because he, he's it's not linear where this happens and then this happens and it builds and it builds and builds until the end. It's circular, which means that what he says in these first four verses, he'll say again and again and again. And in the end, he comes back and it circles around and, and it, it, it's all connected to one another. And so just like in Philippians where there was a, a lot of repetition... In First John, there's a lot of repetition. But really, if you've read the Bible, you know that in the Bible, there's a lot of repetition. But it's not monotonous repetition that you get tired of. It's repetition that's used on purpose as a teaching aid to help us to remember and to learn what is being said and what is being taught and to see how important it is. And so, um, John, for those of you who might not know, John was a very close friend of Jesus. Some people say his best friend. In fact, we know that Jesus had three disciples to whom he was closest. And that would be Peter, James, and John. And James and John were brothers. And they were called the sons of Zebedee. And so 
um, here we have this letter written, and it's about Jesus by one of Jesus' closest friends, by one of the people who spent the most time with Jesus. And so then the question is left to who, who is he writing this to? I mean, why is he writing this? And so we don't know exactly to whom he's writing it because it's not addressed. Now, they would know because they would be the ones receiving the letter. Um, but most people think that it's churches in Asia Minor, maybe the ones mentioned in Revelation, if you've read Revelation. Um, most people believe that John settled in Ephesus uh, near the end of his life. And so maybe this was to the church at Ephesus. People just aren't exactly sure to whom it was written. But most people agree that it was to a church or several churches in Asia Minor. But it's not addressed to a church, so we don't know for sure. And so, with that said, we are going to see many reasons why he wrote this letter throughout this, this entire uh, few chapters. We're going to see over and over and over again why he says, I wrote this for this reason. And so we'll get to some of those this morning. But what I want to remind us is, is that not one word was accidentally used. And so we don't need to just pay attention to the main themes or that, the main points that he's making. Although, if they were his main points, they need to be primary in our minds. But we, we need to pay attention to each word, each line, each verse, each phrase, each paragraph, the whole thing all together. We need to, to look at this and see, why did he write this? What purpose? And what purpose does it serve us today? How do we put this into practice today? Uh, with that said, First John chapter 1, verse 1, says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Okay, so I'm going to pause right there. If you've read the gospel according to John, John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so you see how this is similar to that in the beginning? Well, what does it say? That which was from the beginning. So here, right away, in the very first verse, you see why people assume, and I think assume correctly, that John wrote this letter. Because he is comparing it, that which was from the beginning... We can compare, sorry, um, John 1, 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in, in John 1, in the Gospel, he identifies the Word as the Lamb that was slain, as Jesus. And so, um, in this, we're going to see that he also identifies Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. I, I want you to pay attention to this. Look at how... His experience with Jesus, and he says, um, we, so not just him, but all the people who knew Jesus here on earth. Look at how their experience progresses. We have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. So he's there, he's in the distance, we have seen him, which we have looked upon. They've, they've had him close up, they've studied him, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. And so these things just progressively get deeper and deeper. And so, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands 
concerning the word of life. Now, when it says word of life, this is a little different than the word mentioned in John 1 um, because he was saying that Jesus was the word, and here he's saying he's the word of life, that he is the, he is, when he speaks, life is given, which he says in John 1 also. When uh, Colossians 1 says that we are still upheld, creation is still upheld by the power of his word. And so, there's a lot of important things going on here. First of all, we see that that which was from the beginning, that he is saying, just as he said in John 1, 1, that Christ has always existed. When our beginning began, which means when God created the heavens and the earth, when God created people, in the beginning, Jesus was already there. He already existed. The Bible tells us that he's always existed. Now, he didn't exist in the flesh as a man. He hadn't been born yet. But he, he already existed. And so that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, why is he saying these things? Well, he wants us to know that he was an eyewitness. That there were eyewitnesses to Jesus. This is written at the end of the first century. Most people think, most scholars think that John lived up to 60 years after Jesus' death. So John lived to be an old man. And... Depending on what you define as old, some of you are like, "Wait, how old are you saying is old?" But uh, but John lived to be up there in age, and he, even in his life, there were already people who were denying that Jesus actually lived, that Jesus was a person, and then that wasn't as common as the next thing that when Jesus lived, he wasn't a human that he was a spirit, that Jesus was a spirit, he wasn't a human. And so John is, is using these descriptions to say, look, we, we've heard him, we've seen him, we've looked upon him, we've touched him, he was flesh, he was human. And so this is still applicable today because there are many people today who, who say that, oh, Jesus wasn't a, a man. There are people who say he, he didn't even exist. I believe that they are ignoring much evidence to the contrary. Um, and, and they might say, well, you can't, you can't trust the Bible, um, but who, we have these first-hand eyewitness accounts that were verifiable, and they could have been verified as false, right? If they weren't true, then people could have said at the time, no, these things aren't true. And people like John couldn't have stood up and said, wait a minute. Here's the proof. Here's the evidence. And yet people did that. And we have these things collected as scripture, but, but it's not just the scripture that we have. It's not just what we have in our Bible that proves that Jesus really existed. There are all kinds of contemporary writings from different authors, especially late first century into the second century, of people who say, Here's who Jesus was. Here are some of the things he did. And these people weren't even Christians. These were people just recording history. And so when we um, look at what John is trying to do here, he's trying to do what oftentimes we have to do today. He's trying to just tell people, no, Jesus existed, and here's the proof. Here's the evidence. And so that's why he's using these words. That's why he's saying touch, that they touched him. And, and 
probably this reminds you of Thomas when he was doubting and, and, and he wanted to touch. He said, I won't believe until I touch the scars on his hands. And so um, that's reminiscent of that. Uh, verse 2. So concerning the word of life is how verse 1 ended. The life was made manifest. So Jesus, they saw Jesus. They saw the one who spoke life into existence. And life is a theme that is going to continue throughout this letter. And not only did they um, see him and, and they see the person who gives life, but it was evident he lived in front of them every day. The life was made manifest. This isn't just a spirit. This is Jesus. This is God in the flesh. The life was made manifest. He lived it out in front of them every day. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. So I said life is a theme. Eternal life is a bigger theme. That we can have life, eternal life, through Jesus Christ. And so, to me, this is great news that we have this opportunity. And it's great news to John, as we will see as we continue reading. And he wants to testify to it. He wants to proclaim to you, or, or sorry, let me start over at verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with us, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to notice here. First of all, we still haven't gotten to a period. So we're still in the first sentence, even though we're in verse 2. This is a long, well-thought-out sentence by John. It's unique in John's writings because he usually doesn't write these long, drawn-out sentences. He usually keeps his statements short and brief and, and, and keeps going. But this one is. And we see so many different things here. The fact that, as he said in verse 1 that, and, and continued in verse 2, that the life was made manifest, that they saw him, heard him, saw him, looked upon him, and, and touched him. And, and he's saying again, we have seen it and testify to it. So he, they've been telling people. He's one of the ones that have been spreading the truth, the gospel, that Jesus is God, that Jesus did live here on earth, that Jesus came. He existed already. He was born as a man here on earth in order to grow up, to live a life that honored and glorified God, to be an example to all of us of how we should live our lives. Uh, he lived a perfect life. And then at the end of his life, he gave, and I say the end, he was young. He was younger than I am now. And he gave his life in order to glorify the Father and to save lost souls. And John, and then, by the way, that wasn't the end of it. Three days later, he rose from the dead and then later ascended into heaven. And John is saying, we're here to tell you that this really happened. We're, we are here to tell you, to testify to this. We want to testify to this. We want to testify to it because God deserves it, because he is the word of life. And we want to testify to it because you need to hear it. Because we are speaking eternal life to you. We are speaking the words of Jesus himself, who is life. You see, life is not just, eternal life is not just something that we pursue. It is a person. We are offered eternal life through Jesus Christ, who embodies eternal life. The life was made manifest. It was put into flesh, this eternal life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was 
with the Father and was made manifest to us. So he was with God before he was born, and then he was made manifest to us. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So what he's, I know he's repeating himself, but he's just trying to get this thought through. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. So my question is, are we proclaiming the gospel to people? Are we proclaiming the word of life to people? Are we telling people about Jesus? And, and we don't have to go to people and say, look, you know, here are all the bad things that will happen to you if you don't accept Jesus. And if that's your strategy, I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm just saying we don't have to. All we have to do is proclaim him. Proclaim who he is. Proclaim what he has done in our life. It's not our job to convert people. It's our job to proclaim him. It's our job to tell people. You know who does the converting? God. Not us. And when we try to force conversion or coerce it in a way that's unhealthy, a lot of times we do more damage than good. And so it's just our job to simply... Be in love with Jesus and tell people about our love. Remember recently I talked about that, about Rose and the kids and how, you know, because I love them, I want to talk to people about them. And in the same way, we, our love for God, our love for Jesus should overflow out of our bodies and out of who we are, out of our mouths. And there's plenty of stuff overflowing out of our mouths that we shouldn't say or that we can't stop ourselves from saying and this is something that we should say, and yet we, we keep it tied up. Because we're worried about offending someone maybe, or, or maybe we're just scared, or maybe we're embarrassed. But we shouldn't be embarrassed. We should tell people what God has done in our lives. We should proclaim Him, because He is the Word of life. Because He does have eternal life. And without our proclamation, without us telling people, without our preaching, then people aren't going to know Him. And this sounds extremely similar to two Sundays ago when we were in Romans chapter 10. And how will they hear if someone doesn't speak, if someone doesn't preach? And how will they preach if they're not sent? And and all those things that we talked about. And so John is saying, I'm here. I witnessed Jesus. I experienced him. I heard him. I saw him. I looked upon him. I touched him. and, And I and we... We want to tell you of what God has done. We want to tell you about Jesus, about this eternal life that was embodied, that was made manifest, that it it was made real right in front of us. We want to tell you that. And John is going to tell them. And he's not going to stop telling them. And the other disciples didn't stop telling people. And and besides Judas, who, who betrayed Jesus, all the other disciples continued to profess Jesus even to their deaths. Many of them died young deaths. They were martyred. And if all this was a made-believe story, a make-believe story, then why did they stick to that story even when their lives were on the line? What did they have to gain from that? And this isn't people generations, I'm not talking about people generations later or even today, which we haven't seen Jesus. 
we're just living by faith. We haven't seen him. And I'm not talking about us just believing in faith, although they definitely had faith, and it's, it was lived out every day. But I'm talking about people who were there, who saw it, who they would have been the ones that had to have started the lie if Jesus really wasn't the Son of God. And yet what tells me that it was true is their willingness to die for what they were saying. Their willingness to be tortured. And yet they didn't turn against him. They didn't deny him. They didn't take back what they had said. They went to their their graves. And John was the lone disciple who got to live a long life. But it wasn't a life without suffering. You should research some of the things that, that scholars say that John went through. And he suffered his whole life, in, but continued to share the gospel. And so, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Why is he proclaiming it? One, because he wants people to get saved, that you too may have fellowship with us. But two, look, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's not just about fellowship with us. It's not just so people can come hang out at church with us. It's so that they can have a relationship with God, like we have a relationship with God. For those of us in this room who have a relationship with him, who are saved, who have been born again, or however you want to word it. And so we see these things, and then look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So he's writing these things that we may have fellowship with each other. He's writing these, and that, by the way, that fellowship, anybody want to take a guess at what that word is in the original language? Yeah, I see y'all mouthing it. Koinonia, exactly. Um, we talked about koinonia a lot in Philippians. And it, it means to have in common a shared partnership. It, it's an intimate relationship. And he wants that in the church. So are we reflecting that? Are we reflecting that in our church, uh, uh, sh- this koinonia? And I have seen it reflected already. I've only been here a few months. But I have s- I've seen struggles and I've seen all those things, yes. But I have also seen koinonia where people are there for each other where people love each other, where people are willing to mourn together and rejoice together, where people are, are glad that they get to be together, that they get to hang out together. And so I believe that there, it, Koinonia is present in our church, and I, can, I believe it can be present in an even, at an even greater level, and I'm going to continue to strive for that, and I hope you do too. But um, it is present. So... Yes, he's writing this letter so that they can have we can have fellowship with each other. The people he was writing it to could have fellowship with each other. He's writing it so that people can have fellowship with God, and they can have a relationship with Him, and not and more than a relationship that they can have this special bond with God. And then look at verse four. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. How many of you would like for your joy to be complete? I struggle with this. I, there are times, often, where my focus is on 
what needs to be fixed and not what is already good. I focus on the negative things instead of the positive things. And I, I'm not saying there's not room for both, but we need to make sure that our focus is Christ and that our joy is complete in him, even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst when negative things are happening, that our joy is complete. And I believe that First John, as we go through this, as we read this, I believe that there are going to be there is going to be hint after hint after hint, not just hints, he's going to flat out tell us how our joy can be complete, how we can have fellowship with each other and fellowship with God. And I'm excited to study this. I'm, I'm glad that we're here. I'm glad that we're going through this. Um, but what I want to show you briefly before we close is that these are not the only three goals, fellowship with each other, fellowship with God, and um, for our joy to be complete. These are not the only three reasons why John wrote this. There are several. We're going to skip to one of the last ones. If, if you have your Bible, or it'll, we'll go to it on the screen. Um, but First John 5.13. Just a couple of pages over. First John 5.13. Verse 4, he said, We're writing these things that our joy may be complete. But that's not the only reason he's writing these things. Look at verse 13 of chapter 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. We can have assurance of our relationship with Jesus. We can be certain that we have a relationship with Jesus. And John will tell us how to be certain. Now, he also is going to tell us that some people who think that they have a relationship with Jesus might not be the case. He's, in fact, I believe he'll cover some of that in the first chapter. But he, he is going to tell us how we can know for certain, for certain, that we have a relationship with Jesus. And he was writing it to people who have a relationship with Jesus. And so another reason why he's writing this letter, and it's almost like a sermon, but the reason he's writing it is to let, to encourage people and to help them have assurance of their relationship with God or to help them have assurance that they don't have a relationship with God so that they can have one and they, they can get saved. And so, going back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The way I want us to close this sermon is really by looking forward. Looking forward we can look at what he's already told us and know that he was an eyewitness. And he said we. There were many people who were eyewitnesses. And he's going to stop saying we after this after this um, little prologue. He's going to say I. But um, I think he uses we maybe in verse 5 and then after that it's I. But um, this we that he's talking about is all the people who saw Jesus. All, all the people who did the things that he said in verse 1, who heard him, who saw him, who looked upon him, uh, who touched him, all of us are saying that he is real, that he is God. So we can look back at what we've already read and know that we have eyewitness testimonies who tell us who Jesus was, that he really was a man, that he really did exist, that he was God, that he was from the beginning, that when, when 
the, when the earth was created, he was already there. He was an agent of it. And this helps us to remember First John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so uh, we can know and have confidence that Jesus was a real person and that we can have faith in him, not just as a man, but as God and as someone who can forgive our sins and give us eternal life. And he was life. He, he was the word of life. He embodied eternal life. He, it was, eternal life was made manifest to us through Jesus. And we can know that. And we can be certain of that. We already see that. And then he wants you to know that you can look forward to this in First John, in his letter. That we can have fellowship with each other through Christ. That we can have fellowship with God through Christ. That we, our joy can be complete if we will listen and heed the things that he tells us in, in this letter. And then as we skipped ahead, and this isn't the only one of those things where he says this is why he's writing. But he was writing so that those who already have a relationship with God can be sure of their relationship. And so if you've ever struggled with any of those things, fellowship with others, fellowship with God, or knowing 100% certain with a hundred percent certainty that you are a Christian, then hopefully when we get to the end of this letter, you will have that confidence. You will have that assurance given by grace through the words written in first John and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be sure of our relationship with God. And maybe we're, you're in here this morning and you, you don't want to wait until we get to that verse that talks about assurance. You, you want to know this morning that you have a relationship with God then during our invitation, I encourage you to come talk to me. I'll pray for you. I'll talk to you. I'll tell you what Scripture says about how you can know that you are a Christian and how, if you already are a Christian, how you can be sure and certain that you have a relationship with God. Um, maybe you're in here this morning and you've struggled with koinonia. You've struggled with your relationship with others in this church. And whatever God puts on your heart, if, if that's just praying that God would help you with that, if that's going and talking to someone else in this room right now, or maybe you've struggled in your fellowship with God. Maybe you don't feel close to him. Maybe you don't feel that intimacy that koinonia brings, that fellowship brings. If that's the case, spend some time with him, talking to him. Be honest with him. He already knows. He already knows what you're thinking and how you feel, probably more than you know what you're thinking and how you feel. So talk to him. And, and if you want your joy to be complete, maybe you have been struggling with some things, maybe you've been just struggling with depression or um, suffering, and, and, and that suffering or that depression is working in a way where you don't have joy in the midst of it. Because suffering is a common experience. Depression is a fairly common experience. But even in the midst of that suffering, even in the midst of that depression or whatever we have going on, we should still find joy in Christ, in God. And so, whatever the case is this morning, I'm just going to encourage you to respond to God however he's convicting you. Let us pray, and then we'll have our invitation. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that you would um, convict us this morning and help us to, to, to know whatever way we need to respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.